oh, I did not get that role. And Spike's like, whatever you do, don't leave town. You know, Denzel has the final word. And I was like, okay, thank you. The next day, maybe two days later, I get on a plane and I go to LA. And as soon as my plane hits the ground, it's Spike Lee calling saying, where are you? Is it true you left town? I said, Spike, I can't be sitting around New York City waiting for a maybe. Okay, I got to get a job. Okay, I got to get a job. And he was like, oh, it's okay. I'm in LA too. You got the role. Come on over. And I was like, what? What? Hello and welcome to Here's to Life with Tori Reid, presented by Victory and Noble, a storytelling company with executive producer Patrick Howe. Here's to Life with Tori Reid was brought to you in part by... We are pleased to share that we are staying healthy and hydrated throughout this edition of Here's to Life with Tori Reid, courtesy of our partners at Vivro Water, a sustainable solutions company that mirrors our commitment to clarity, focus, and a better world. Vivro's water solutions for business have already helped divert tens of millions of wasteful plastic bottles from landfills and waterways. Every day, Vivro systems across the globe help forward-thinking companies transform their own on-premise water into a source for pure and reliable filtered hydration. Let Vivro help you and your business leave a legacy of stewardship, health, and wellness that will literally make you feel good inside. Go to VivroWater.com, V-I-V-R-E-A-U-Water.com for more information. Cassandra Freeman, you are a powerful woman, an actress, a storyteller, an educator. You are fierce. You are vivacious. Oh my gosh, are you vivacious? You're charming, you're refreshing, but you're no nonsense, and you're a lot of fun. That's what I've been seeing as I see you. I felt it instantly. And you radiate grace, success, beauty. I can keep going and I can keep going, but I'd like okay, to hear Tori. from you. <laughs> Thank you, Tori. Thank you. It's like I came here to get a reading. Thank you. Right. What else do you see? What does this line here? I've been trying to figure it out. I love it. Well, I want to know, how do you see you? Oh, let Tori come out with the guns on the first question. You sweet, sweet. So like a shaman over there. Okay. Oh, how do I see myself? You know, I see myself as a quiet, deep intellectual that blends intellectualism with spirituality. And mm. my purpose here in life is to help people find their joy. I just help seek mm. people to find their joy. That is what I'm here for. I love that. Well, you're spreading joy already and we've just begun. You're also a manifester. You have a very serendipitous story. I loved hearing that one of your favorite movies is Mo Better Blues. And as a young girl, you used to say, I'm going to play Denzel's wife one day. What was it about that movie? What was it about Bleak Gilliam besides the obvious? And I know you also said you wanted to work with Spike Lee and the fact that your film debut was working with both of those that you dreamed of, both of those talents. That's why I say you're a manifester. What was that like? 
I think a part of it is, is you know, More Better Blues was probably too mature of a movie for me to even watch when it first came out. <laughs> right, yes. But I think it's something about how Denzel, like to think that an actor went away to learn how to move his fingers just right for that trumpet and how to get his embouchure just right on the trumpet to get the sound out. And then he has all of the emotions that you can have in humanity from sexiness to anger to regret, all this stuff. And I just remember being like, that's like a tour de force right there. Like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I would get so close to the TV because, and I haven't said this out loud, but I realized like a lot of, of my life in general, and especially for acting, but for anything is about sussing out like people who have high authenticity. It's like hearing a note. It's like crystal clear. It's like a ping. And Denzel really has that. And Spike Lee really has that. So in a way that was like my training ground of being like, oh, how much more truth can I get into something? And then I think it's just so interesting that I was able at a young age when people would be mean to me, I would say to them, let's you say this now, but one day Denzel Washington's going to marry me. Okay. We're going to work <laughs> together. And so it was almost like that was like the angel idea in my head of comfort and of success. I'd go to bed at night and imagine angel wings were wrapped up around me to go to sleep if I was scared of the boogeyman. And I think Denzel Washington, Spike Lee were sort of like that for my like imagination creative side. So I was like, one day I'm gonna get to New York. And one day, you know, Spike Lee is the epitome of artistic work. And so is Denzel, you know? Yes. Well, one of the things I appreciate about Spike Lee is that he's worked with some of our greatest talents at the beginning. He discovered them. He has that eye, that intuition, be it Denzel Washington, Lawrence Fishburne, Giancarlo Esposito, Halle Berry, Cassandra Freeman. That's one thing that I appreciate about him as a director. He really is a actor's director. He is. You know what? I think my experience with him really showed me too is I think a part of his secret sauce is that he cast the person the way you cast a technician. You're like, that's the mm-hmm. person who will fix all my problems and will go in and do the thing. Right. Yeah. And so that was my first film, but he and Denzel both really trusted me and my instincts even at that time. And, you know, I remember me and Denzel meeting ahead of shooting because that script was originally written for a white couple. And he was like, Cassie, we got to make people feel like these are actual black people. And like, also it's crazy because I was so young then going through so many, many things in my own personal life. But looking back at it from 42, I'm like, it makes so much sense why he was like, how do we bring our own authentic voice to a script that maybe didn't have us in mind? So when people watch it, they actually get to see what like black fun, sexuality, sensuality, all that can feel like the relationship of the, like he really cared about all these things. And that really set me up for the rest of my career of you don't take these things for granted. And if people didn't mm-hmm. think about you at the beginning, well, then it's your opportunity to put it in there at the beginning for yourself when you show up. And the same is true with Spike. Like Spike would just be like, what do you want to do? Okay, let's do that. I remember I was just playing on the bed with the hat on my foot. And the last scene of the movie is me twirling the hat on my foot. And Spike was like, wait a minute, stop. We need to set up cameras. We need to shoot what Cassie's doing right now. And I remember <laughs> him being like, I have like a say. So to start off, 
to have two kings like that to say, your voice matters, your voice is actually correct. To go ahead in the rest of this career, whether people listen to me or not, I would always be like, "Mm, they don't know because the kings of Hollywood already told me I know what I'm doing. That's right. (laughs) Such a blessing. I remember I was doing that. Brian Grazer was the producer for that. And Brian being like, so Cassandra Freeman, you're the new Spike girl in Hollywood. What's going to happen? Nothing. Not a lot. Uh, not a lot happened after that. You know, I had a very humble journey of things to come after that. And then there were so many strikes in Hollywood at that time too. So yeah. it was a slow crawl, but I love that beginner's luck hit like that. And it did. And you manifested it being your authentic self, which is a beautiful thing. I love that you talk about authenticity. That is very important to me. When I auditioned for this role, I came in to audition for cop number 50 in the background somewhere, right? And before I walked out, Kim Coleman, who was the casting director, said, wait a minute, before you leave, Cassandra, can you take that wig off and do the girlfriend role? It's not written, but can you just improv something? First of all, I was like, how she know this wig? And so I took it off. (laughs) How she know? (laughs) I was being so insulted. I was like, what are you talking about? So I take that wig off. And instead, it was my short little pixie cut at that time. And we just improv the scene. And then maybe a week later, I got a call saying I had a call back, but it was it with Spike Lee at that point. I think before then it was an interview with Spike and Spike was like, well, Denzel picks ultimately, but I just wanted to meet you in person because I just graduated from NYU grad school. That's where he teaches. Like he worked in the same building at NYU, but I never bumped into him, but everybody wanted to work with Spike. I never bumped into him once. Anyway, then another week goes by and then I have a final call back and it's with Spike. And we're doing this audition, but he's like, so you're going to come in, we're going to improv. And it's with me. And I was like, why am I doing an improv with Spike Lee? This is, so the best things in my life have come when I've had no attachment to the outcome. Instead, I was just very present in the gift of what is so, but it just seemed too otherworldly to be attached to the outcome. So I came in, I did a scene, I played around with him, but I remember at the end of the scene, it was like something where he was like, you're going to do what I say, woman. And I said, listen, you're going to do what I say, I'm going to replace you with a white man. And then Spike says, and cut. And I was like, oh, I did not get that role. And Spike's like, whatever you do, don't leave town. You know, Denzel has the final word. And I was like, okay, thank you. The next day, maybe two days later, I get on a plane and I go to LA. And as soon as my plane hits the ground, it's Spike Lee calling, saying, where are you? Is it true you left town? I said, Spike, I can't be sitting around New York City waiting for a maybe. Okay, I got to get a job. Okay, I got to get a job. And he was like, oh, it's okay. I'm in LA too. You got the role. Come on over. And I was like, what? What? But I was never pretending to be anything other than who I am. <laughs> and then it just came. And that's the lesson right there. Cassandra Freeman is so authentic and lives in the moment. She's a beautiful example of the power of manifestation. And what I appreciate about her the most is that she does so simply by being who she is. Her voice does matter. She is teaching by being, trusting life, and living fully. You have become our new modern matriarch. And by that, our Claire Huxtable, our Aunt Viv of our current cultural moment. You're a power spouse and you're an accomplished woman in your own right. 
except in 2021, you're a new version. You're sophisticated, you're sexy, you're not our typical mom, if you will. Let's talk about Bel Air now and how you took the role of Vivian Banks and made it your own. Well, there are a couple of things connected to that. I mean, first of all, Janet Hubert and Daphne Maxwell are so tattooed on my brain of what Aunt Viv is. And I think what both those women did so beautifully is that they really put aunties on the map as being like something to aspire to be in the culture, you know? And also I keep saying like, they were the queen of aunties. Like if you're an auntie, can you be that auntie? Because that's (laughs) like the pinnacle of auntieism. And Janet and Daphne went towards that character or created their own Aunt Viv in a very interesting, different way that was bespoke for them personally. And what I really thought about was, you know, I come from the theater world where you play roles that other people play all the time. So a part of me didn't take much stock in. I was like, okay, yeah, a couple of people play this. That's how it is. So what do I do? I look to see what did they do that is absolutely true that we have to keep. And what do I feel like in the audience? I felt like, oh, but you know, it'd be nice if they just added this element too. And so for me, that is, they're the consciousness and heart of the show. And these are people who are deeply compassionate people. So the way you show that has to be that these are deep listeners Mm -hmm. and they are deeply grounded in truth because they're anchored in wanting to show direction. It's all about trying to give young people a blueprint to become their own prince and princess, to be their own kings and queens, not to follow after another king or queen. That's a very specific sort of woman to be in the world. And then I thought, and, and the way they're compassionate is through the honeys and the babies. Like I'm Southern, like all that. And also like whenever I can lay my hands on someone, touch them, caress them, like that's part of showing auntie love. So the thing that I wanted to add was this feeling of, but she's still from Philly. Like I'm from Philly. And at any moment I might flip back into my Phillyness and I actually embrace my Phillyness and I will stay Philly while I'm surrounded by this type of luxury. And so to me, that was like the thing that I could add a little bit, uh, some extra spice to her. And then the other thing is that I think is really important is that I think those older versions from the 90s, those were, and and Claire Huxtable too, these were women who were finished. They were complete women. You know, in the marketing world, Black women are the representation of strength. So I really wanted to say Black women can also be vulnerable. We can also be fragile. We can also be unsure. And I wanted the new Vivian for people to feel like, oh, she's not, she's still becoming, she's still evolving. And she needs someone to actually pour into her as much as she's pouring into other people. That to me is much more interesting and hopefully give black women in the culture the permission to say, oh, I'm not done yet. There are other things I want to do and I might not even be perfect in it yet. Or there are things that I used to do that I can excavate and do today and make it better with this new knowledge, being in this new body at 40. So these are the things that we really wanted to bring in, or those are the things I really wanted to bring in. And Morgan Cooper, our creator, made a really big point that we weren't here to fit the shoes that they made. We were here to create new shoes. And so I just feel grateful that the culture, our community has really embraced my version and you know, I haven't talked to Janet Huber, but I've talked to Daphne Maxwell and she's the most gracious. She is on Viv. Like she is that deep sage, like, 
ancient wisdom flows through and out of her. And when I got to sit with her, I was like, oh, this makes sense. And she was just like, I love how so unattached she was to the idea of Aunt Viv. She's like, and now it is your turn. The torch is now yours. She's so unattached. And I thought that's how I would be too. It's like, I've done my job and now the crown must, I would pray that I place the crown so firmly on your head so the next culture can be uplifted in the way in which she uplifted the culture, you know, and she really did that. And that is her. We had the pleasure of speaking with her on the show last spring. And so we spoke of the reunion and we talked about James Avery, talked about just how much of a family, which you all have in Bel Air, you really are, you feel the family, the importance of family all around you. I really love the mother and daughter dynamic. It's actually updated. It's more relevant with the social media, the aspect of influencing and that dynamic between you and Hillary and being a mother in this time period, because that's a bit updated, so to speak. Yeah, you know, and also that dynamic was dicey even because, mm-hmm. and I was worried about it and the producers were too, but it came off just fine, which is, you know, you could have started on Viv and Hillary to be like, they're just so close and everything's yes. perfect. And mm-hmm. she agrees. And I really appreciate, you know, it's a drama. You have to have some drama and some place to go. And hopefully you teach something in the middle of it. And really, it also made me realize like what age I'm in and how different the generations are. You know, I'm 42 and I come from a generation where you're supposed to work 10 times as hard. You're supposed to go to college, get as many degrees as you can and really do your best to assimilate into the culture. Make yourself as soft as possible and fit in where you can get in. And then once you get in, maybe you can make change, but maybe be quiet for a little bit and then you make some change. And this new, this new generation, like, no, we ain't going to wait. No, no, they need to change. That's not like white supremacy to me. Okay, no, we're not going to do that today. Every generation yes. challenges the older generation yes. about what is the process to get entry into class, wealth, and all of that kind of stuff. So it makes perfect sense. Also, you know, her, maybe you could say the word aggressiveness or her firm hand in, in Hillary's life. To me, it's also because you love someone so much, you want to keep them away from danger. So if someone is about to put their hand on the stove, you don't have enough time to be like, baby, sweetie, honey, can you not? You know, listen, there's one way to win. Please stand in line and do it the right way. So I love that dynamic. And I love that both those generations have to really understand their communication and allow each other to be the other person. But also Hillary charges her own mother for not staying in her power as an artist and for maybe giving things up. And so it makes her think this is the lesson. That's what I've been role modeling. And so, and I mean, I've seen this in my own life. Sometimes you become the thing that your parents never were to stand up in that and be like, listen, this is what you should have done, mom. This is what you should have done, dad. And then you get older and you're like, oh, I can see why they didn't do it. You know, that's where compassion comes in. But he'll be too young for that yet. But we still own the growing up part where I still have to like snatch and be like, do things the right way. Who do you want to be? You know, that's my favorite line of the season. But is this who you actually are? Is that who you are? If so, fine. But if not, choose differently. You have time. 
that was a powerful moment. And it stayed with her. And I won't say anything. I want to say something, but I can't say anything. I won't ruin it for her. And it stayed with me. Yes. And it, and it came it about, with me. Yes. I need to go save myself too. You know, I need to stay in my own power too. So children will, to me, children and marriage is some of the most ultimate, like, uh, spiritual awakenings you can have. It's spiritual enlightenment. If you want it, they shall bring it to your door. Bel Air is a breath of fresh air from the typical urban drama that Black people are often limited to. Matter of fact, it's a successful dramatic reimagination of its predecessor, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, by being its own groundbreaking cultural shifting phenomenon. This modern matriarch is gracious, though powerful, understanding yet unyielding in her commitment to excellence. She's filled with joy and is a wonderful listener who also rules her roost and will rearrange that space altogether when need be. Rather than the finished, powerful matriarch, Cassandra's Aunt Viv is not afraid to show vulnerability or insecurities to paint a character who is becoming Aunt Viv. Well, I know your aunt and uncle have one of the largest Black art collections in Los Angeles. Tell me how they inspired you as you created your Aunt Viv. Yeah, my aunt and uncle Bernard and Shirley Kinsey, they have this collection called the Kinsey Collection. It's like the shared family art collection. They're some of the biggest uh, collectors in the country of African, African-American art, but also African-American historical documents to prove, you know, their whole thesis is Black people live in the myth of absence, which is people don't tell you we were there. If they say we weren't there, then you grow up assuming you weren't there and you don't have claim. So they're always about, we're going to have the papers that say we had our own railroads. We had our own movie theaters. We had our own, own, own. Here are the documents. Okay, we came over here as free people. Then they enslaved us. Okay, but these people came over slave. Here's the documents. Here's the scroll. So I grew up around people who are deeply passionate about visual arts, but yes. interested in visual arts in terms of what's the story of this artist? What did they have to sacrifice to tell the story? Who did they have to prove it to? Who did they have to pass it on to to keep its value? How were they devalued in the time they're in? How are they continually devalued? And now what's happening now in the culture where people are finally being valued? All that lives deeply within my psyche. And so my aunt and uncle are like aunt, you know, Aunt Viv and Uncle Phil in that dynamic where you'd walk into their house in the Pacific Palisades and they lived in a mansion mm -hmm. surrounded by all sorts of Hollywood people and their house would be covered in African-American art. Like you walk into that house and if you didn't know, you would be reminded of the ancient history that we carry in our bones and how beautiful and bright and how we have always been beautiful and bright. It's just the story of trauma is like the favorite story in American entertainment. You know, I say this all the time. America's number one export is culture, black culture, especially, but they love to tell about our trauma, but not about our triumphs and our joys. And so that's really what they taught me being in that house. And so to extract that and to live that now, it's like it's everything I could have ever hoped for. It's exactly what I should be doing right now. When are you most alive? I mean, the go-to is either when I'm surrounded by other artists. I have this thing called Blackress Brunches. I'm about to do it again in like another month. 
And when I'm surrounded by people who are up to the same thing I'm up to, it feels so calming and satisfying. And the same is true when I'm just one-on-one with my son, he's three years old. And he is just, to see his brain come on board about so many things, it's constantly reminding me how like we are the possibility of so many things. And it starts at such a young age about which way you direct a soul. And so every time I'm with him, I'm like, Ooh, what do I do at this moment to direct him forward? And he does things. And I'm like, oh, he understands. Like when my son does something naughty. I do my best never to say like you're being bad. I say to him, you have to remember who you are. You have to remember who you are. You're a leader. So what do leaders do? Okay, we're going to have to have a timeout. Do you want it by yourself or with mommy? He always says with mommy. So he has to sit in my lap. We take a timeout. I set the alarm clock and I said, okay, let's sit here and think why we're in timeout right now. Okay. And I'll talk about who he is and who he's going to be, you know? And sometimes I think he's not listening, but then he'll be out in the world. He'll be like, mom, remember this is fragile. And so when things are fragile, we can't do this to people. Remember? And I'm like, he was listening. And I said, how do you know that? Because I sat on your lap that day and we talked about it. It's important. And I'm like, he's at three. And I'm like, oh, it's working. Now, will you eat more different foods? That's my question. (laughs) That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I got that. I didn't come up with that by myself either. There was this great article that I read once about there's a, a country in Africa where when someone does something wrong, they would put the person like who stole something in the middle of a circle and surrounded by friends and family. And they would remind him of who he is. So they wouldn't say, that's right. You're nothing but a thief. They say, remember, you're my brother. Remember this thing you did for me? Remember, remember. And I'm like, that is how you actually correct behavior. And our whole way of correcting behavior in this country is like totally morbid. You're like, yeah, you ain't nothing. And now I'm going to throw you in a place to really make you feel nothing. And then after I make you feel like you nothing for 10, 15 years, I'm going to bring you back out here in the public. You better remember you somebody. What? No. I know how you do it. That's so masculine. That's like just the the most negative masculine energy you could go to instead of the bright, powerful masculine energy. They choose darkness. So we're still in the dark ages. So I didn't want to do that to my son. Well, it sounds like you are raising one of our next princes. He's only three. As they say, call me back when he's 20. (laughs) He's a bright light. He's a... He, he's a sage. He's been here before and he's happy to be wow. back again. That's for sure. I love that. Your dreams, I've noticed, come true. We've talked about a few of them already today. What are you dreaming of now? Well, it's funny when you get something as magnificent as Aunt Viv in the world of Will Smith and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, it got scary for me because it got very quiet in here. I was like, oof. It was like a candle was blown out. Wishes, your wish came true. I didn't even know this was in the menu of things to choose from in terms of wishes. So things got quiet, but slowly it's coming back on board. I mean, my biggest wish, uh, I have two big wishes and I'm sure I have more and I shall wait for the whispers to come find me. One is to spend as much deep time with my family as possible. Between COVID and what's happening in the Ukraine, 
I feel like such a responsibility to be still and to be surrounded by my family and friends and to acknowledge people while I can. And hopefully, you know, there's this thought that if we're all so interested in hustling and being busy, the world would have blown up a long time ago. You have to have people in the community who are interested in being still and silent and together. And that actually helps drive the universe forward as well, vibrationally. So I like to think I am contributing to the vibration of like peace, harmony, love, joy, tenderness. These sorts of things is what I'm trying to put into the world right now with my son and my family. And I have a very big community where I live. And that's what I'm constantly like trying to water that now that I'm back home in New York. And then the second thing is, is I'm developing a startup, but it's based off of this world of the Blackdress Brunch, which is more of these like gathering for actors to come together, but really basically a whole portal and a platform. So people in the industry, whatever they're looking for, they can find each other, but find people of color first. So on one hand, it's a great place for people who are white. Let's say they want to have a more inclusive collaboration. They can come into my portal and you can say, I'm looking for a queer black man between his age who is a producer. Boom. That's much more effective than calling up all your, your one black friend and saying, do you know any producer? Do you know anybody? No. And also a lot of people get unfed like that. What happens is a few people get fed a lot and a lot of other people go starving. So one part is that to help my black, brown, my Asian friends, people in the BIPOC community and people in the LGBTQ community to be able to be found easier so people can collaborate with them. But the other part of that portal is just so like if you're looking for a hairstylist, you can just go through the portal and you have to be a member to this. You have to be a high level entertainment person. So it can be sort of like this great vetted world to where you can find your next nanny. You can find your next publicist. You can find the next people you're looking for, but like in the tap of a button. Okay. And you can get your next movie funded too amongst your own people. So it'll start off with black people. Cause I always say, if you solve black people problems, you solve everybody's problems. And we are a billion dollars, $14 billion could be had if black people had more power and control over their career behind and in front of the camera. So if you help this population, you end up helping a lot of other people too. But also it becomes like this place of wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. You know, the people who are artists, actors, writers, directors, and producers, but also musicians, all of these people, they're the feelers of the world. And if they don't have a place where they get to be filled up. My entire, I'm not even joking. Since I was in high school, I used to say, why is there no actor spot? Like, why is there no place for creative people to go to when they finish a project to get filled back up again? And it's like taboo to say you got burnt out from a project, but of course you did. If you're an athlete, you get burnt out at the end of a season. Actors and artists in general need to be refueled, refed, and then put back out in the world again. So that's the next thing that I'm working on in this time. I like that. I really do. I look forward to that. Thank you. Last question. How do you wish to be remembered? On my tombstone, it's going to say, well, she was right. (laughs) 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 No, for real, for real. How do I wish to be remembered? I hope I'm remembered, you know, it's just like the simple things. I hope people, when they think of me, that they'll like smile and laugh and they'll feel like this flutter inside them like a butterfly. And they'll be like, oh, 
Cassie. She was always like creating like crazy moments of joy when we're supposed to be doing other things, you know? <laughs> yeah. I like to think I go wide in both directions. I was always brought up to believe, this is what I've learned, that the smartest people are the funniest people and the funniest people are the saddest people because they know how deep and low life is, but they also know how high it can be as well. And that's why they laugh so much because it's all such a funny game, this thing we call life in this bodysuit that we live in. It's so silly, guys, but we walk around like it's so serious. It's not so serious. We're everybody looking for the same thing, love and belonging. So I hope when I die, people say, oh, she always made me feel like I belong. You have spread so much joy today with me, with us. You are an amazing light. And you have a new fan in me. You really, really do. Continued blessings. I think you are amazing. Your energy. I know you give the best advice to your friends. I'm like, Kent, is there a sign-up board that I can sign up and be Cassandra Freeman's friend? Because I know your friends, you hook them up. (laughs) When they're true. You know, I'm like, I'm like the person I say, just send me the picture of the person you're dating. I can tell you everything you need to know about. Okay. Or come over to my house. Let me see. Let me look you in the eye and I can tell you exactly what's happening in your life right now. Okay. I can tell if you're moving forward or backwards. I can tell you what the blocks are. Because that's a part of my gift. You know, that's a part of my gift. Everybody got different gifts. Yeah. That's mine. And so a lot of my life's been about protecting my energy. So when I feel other people's energy, I can be like, that's not my energy. That's their energy. Oof. Mm. You know? Oof. And then some energy, I'm like, ah, you got that healing energy, Tori. And that's you. You got... Ooh, you got that deep, ancient, quiet, you know, deep listening. You know, they say to be a deep listener is a practice that takes a lifetime to learn, but I think you're already on the road to that lifetime. You've obviously done this many times in your life before. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, deep, compassionate listener. That's some Nietzsche stuff. He's got a whole book on like the quality of listening. And then the quality of listening is the quality of your conversations. Isn't that beautiful? The quality of you listening. And that is you, Tori Reed. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and your energy. Cassandra Freeman's Aunt Viv is creating a portrait of the modern woman. Fun, joyous, tough, and vulnerable. Beautiful, successful, loving, powerful, and yet still becoming, evolving. Like her Aunt Viv character, Cassandra Freeman, the woman, possesses all of those traits and much more. She wants to infuse people with the spirit of a butterfly, a spirit of joy, laughter, and light, while also creating a space where storytellers can come together, recharge, collaborate, and create more incredible work. She is about the work and accomplishing that mission as she's already manifested abundant blessings throughout her journey. So just as we think about Felicia Rashad or Daphne Maxwell-Reed and how they created characters that are lasting, we will also say the same about Cassandra Freeman. As Cassandra journeys through life with her purpose of helping people find their joy, I'm sure she'll continue to spread hers. I would like to thank my stepmom, Daphne Maxwell-Reed, for not only her gracious introduction for this episode and making it happen, but spreading her light. Got it. We shine bright. 
Thank you for listening to Here's to Life with Tori Reed, executive produced by Patrick Howell. We hope you've enjoyed today's show. Here's to Life with Tori Reed was brought to you in part by The Hilton Sacramento Art and West in Sacramento, California, is committed to creating a safe and relaxing experience, including delivery of a clean stay from check-in to check-out. Located a couple of exits from downtown Sacramento and California's capital, our hotel provides a world-class stay, amenities, and rooms at the center of the California experience. California is a world-class economy with visionaries, doers, and dream catchers at its heart. Our mission, as with Here's to Life and Getting Deals Done, is the highest possible expression of excellence, business moxie, humanity, and client care. As the world moves at a fast and sometimes hectic pace, we will provide you with a peace of mind. The Hilton Sacramento Art and West is here to make your experience a better one. We look forward to receiving you. I am Ginger Levert, Director of Sales and Marketing at the Hilton Sacramento Art and West. Our focus is on the customer experience and a pristine excellence. When you travel to Sacramento, stay with us and I guarantee your peace of mind. Check back with our page, here's to lifeeveryday.com, for new episodes every second and fourth Sunday of the month. And if you like this show, don't forget to hit subscribe and be sure to leave a comment, rate, or review wherever you're listening and share it if you can. So, here's to life today and every day. So long for now. <laughs>